Hey guys, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you, as always, from the heart of Yorkshire, England. And we are up to episode 7 of season 6. This season's flying by. (laughs) And we've got five episodes left. And, in my opinion, it's only just stepping up a gear. But I guess, how often does that happen with Dexter? The first few episodes tend to chug along and a lot of setup. And then it kicks into gear about halfway through and... Well, this week it really did seem to do that. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We've got lots of positive feedback uh, coming your way in the feedback section a bit later on. We'll uh, we'll look forward to going through that, or I certainly will. (laughs) But obviously we're talking about Season 6. I don't always do this, and I should really. Um, I did preface the whole podcast with a a voiceover spoiler warning last season. Not done that this year, because I kind of felt maybe it was a bit obvious from the podcast titles. But, as I say, it's a Season 6 podcast, so if you are listening to Dissecting Dexter for the rewatches and you're not up to date with all the episodes that have aired, then you'll want to bank this one and keep it in your back pocket until you are caught up with Season 6. So, there, you've been warned. <laughs> Don't say I didn't tell you. Right, guys, if you're still with me, thanks for joining me once again. Season 6, Episode 7, Nebraska. But before we get into that, just a few little tidbits, sort of Dexter-related. Jennifer Carpenter has been getting some other work, not surprisingly, because, you know, I think she deserves it. She's appearing in an upcoming episode of The Good Wife, which is airing in the US on the 4th of December. She's playing a religious Republican professor. Desmond Harrington, everybody's favourite playboy, (laughs) is apparently appearing in the new Batman film, The Dark Knight Rises, apparently, as a Gotham City policeman. Or at least he was dressed in the uniform of a Gotham City policeman. The report, uh, I saw it on Twitter, it came via an extra who is appearing in the same scene, apparently being filmed in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I don't know whether this particular role is um, very much a background one, or whether he's... You know, maybe playing a bad guy who's disguised as a uh, a Gotham policeman. I, I don't know. Um, we'll see. But um, nice to know that a couple of our our favourite characters are getting other work. So it's you know it's all good. Elsewhere, the ratings. Early reports for the Nebraska episode were that it was even on numbers with the previous week. But then the TV line website reported that the total viewership for the night was actually the highest for the season since the premiere. So increased numbers. So, you know, that's good. Regarding the Michael C. Hall contract negotiations, I do occasionally get asked whether I'd heard anything new. The short answer is no. Certainly nothing official has been announced. One rumour I had read this week was speculating, and I think maybe this was speculation or maybe an educated guess was that Michael C. Hall or his people were asking for an unreasonably large amount of money because career wise he's preferring to move on and do Broadway and films rather than come back and commit to another season or two of a TV show which is quite a long commitment you know they they film over a few months and you know, that's quite a long time so 
from a career point of view, you can kind of understand. You know, he's he's won um, an award or two for his role as Dexter. So, you know, in terms of plaudits, can it get any better for, as far as his role on Dexter? I don't know. You can kind of see both sides. That said, Dexter really is a flagship show for Showtime. And as I talked about before... You know, they'd be foolish to let it go if, if creatively they've still got mileage in the show and ratings certainly aren't dipping. And it's got to be one of the big attractions for new subscribers to the channel, to the, the, the cable network. So you think you know, it's in show from a business perspective, it's showtime's, in Showtime's interest to, to cough up, really. I mean, it's not just advertising and, and subscriptions. You know, you've got syndication... Uh, DVD sales, Blu-ray sales and so on. I don't know how much they make from merchandising, whether that's particularly high, I don't know. But, cough up Showtime, <laughs> is, the, is what, what I have to say about it. Okay, so, we'll move on. Uh, not a lot of personal stuff for me to report this week. I know some of you do like to uh, hear about little tidbits from my own life, behind the scenes. Um... The only thing really since I last talked to you, we had my son's uh, fifth birthday party at the weekend, which went off really well. He had an absolute blast uh, and it was great to see him happy and enjoying himself and having fun with his friends. Uh, so that was great. Nice, uh, nice way to celebrate his birthday. OK, so enough preamble. Let's dive into the latest episode. Season six, episode seven, Nebraska. Original air date. 13th of November 2011, written by Wendy West and directed by Romeo Taroni. Wendy West, I'm sure we've mentioned her before, so forgive me if I'm treading old ground. She came on board, I believe, at the beginning of season four and has since written a couple of key episodes, particularly Hungry Man and The Getaway. And I think this one ranks as pretty key too, at least as things stand now. Director Romeo Taroni, formerly the regular cinematographer for Dexter, now seemingly part-time. I'm not quite sure why, unless they're phasing in someone new. In between Dexter seasons, he has been busy with True Blood, so maybe he's getting more creatively involved with that for HBO. Anyway, this seems to be his fourth directing gig for Dexter, having previously directed one episode in season four, If I Had a Hammer, and two from last season, Take It and First Blood. Right, let's crack on with the episode review. Lots to talk about. Okay, firstly, I really have a problem with previously on segments. They're spoilers! In this week's Previously, they showed a bit of Trinity and his family, just out of the blue. We know that Previously segments are meant to be reminders for anything that's coming up in the episode, to stop stupid viewers seeing somebody or something and think, what or who is this? Really, any serious fan of the show is going to know and remember. I mean, it's Trinity for pity's sake. Who doesn't remember that? So, like the rest of you, I'm sure, I see Trinity and think, oh great, so we're getting a Trinity callback this week. And 
boom, I'm spoiled. Thank you, Showtime. They did it on Lost, and they do it on Sons of Anarchy, they do it on loads of shows, and I usually try to skip them, but didn't manage it this time. In the scheme of things, though, it's not a massive deal in the broad scope of the show, but it's it just spoiled that surprise of Deb telling Dexter that Trinity's back. Okay, <laughs> rant over. I was really looking forward to getting some great conversation between Dexter and Brian this episode, and we did get plenty. I liked how Dexter's opening voiceover was punctuated by Brian saying, too long, finishing Dexter's thought off, emphasising how he's just just a manifestation of part of Dexter's psyche. Well, let's face it, he's the dark passenger, isn't he? Pure and simple. You used to love to play. Why the long face? Brother Sam had hoped I'd be able to forgive Nick for shooting me. Because you don't turn the other cheek, you slice it. Brother Sam doesn't know you like Brother Brian does. Admit it. You're a little glad to see me. I feel... Relieved? Relieved, unburdened. Like maybe I can stop pretending. Pretending there's any light in me. Feels good, doesn't it? You know, we don't have to go back. We can keep going. And straight away, he's manipulating and massaging Dexter's thoughts and emotions, pulling the strings, capitalising on the darkness that engulfed Dexter as he killed Nick last week. At the beginning here, Dexter seemed to be a a total pawn. It was amazing to see such a radical shift, and a pretty fast one, when he was all set to forgive Nick and accept there was some light in him. Dexter, that is, having light in him, not Nick. <laughs> he was an ass. <laughs> I was a bit worried that the change was too quick, though, and you could argue it was a plot device, but I don't know. Dexter's still such a troubled man, deeply disturbed, even if he's been settling on the outside. And the brotherly bond is a deep one, even if Brian was an evil psycho who wanted Dexter to murder his sister. I found it interesting how, with Harry's appearances, he'd pop up, they'd have a chat, then he'd go again. But Brian, he appeared and seemed to pretty much stay with Dexter the whole time, even if it was just sitting in silence. Was that Dexter finding it assuring to have him there? Or that dark passenger part of his mind, much stronger now Harry's been suppressed, and it wants to keep hold of Dexter's conscious self by being more present. Jeez, oh, it sounds so confusing to talk in these terms, but it's Dexter, we all know what it means. <laughs> when Dexter gets the call from Deb, because of the previously segment, I had an inkling what it would be about. Shame, really, the surprise would have been nicer. But it was funny because Deb was saying Trinity's back like it'd be the end of the world for Dexter. But you could see Dexter thinking, what the fuck? Of course, he knew it definitely wasn't Trinity, and it was pretty obvious who the culprit would be. At least to begin with. I did love Deb referring to the place the Mitchells moved to as bumfuck Nebraska. (laughs) That's just great. Where does she get these things from? Yeah, all right, the writers, I know. (laughs) I did wonder last week if the episode title Nebraska meant a road trip for the Doomsday case, but I guess I was half right. 
just a road trip for Brian and Dexter. And I thought they did a good job of making it really feel like they were on a road trip in the short time they had this episode. That's giving credit to the producers here. The new location they found themselves in was completely different from the locales that we're used to. It really felt like they'd travelled a long way from home. I was shocked by Dexter doing the young girl in the shop. She couldn't have been out of her teens and here he is, a 40-year-old, cracking onto her. Yes, he was encouraged by Brian and yes, you can say he's not really himself. But I, watching it, I felt pretty dirty about it. Like I'd lost a chunk of respect for him. Okay, he was after the gun, but he only saw that after he'd started to approach her. I don't know, it just didn't sit right with me, him doing that. But I guess maybe it just illustrated how uh, radically out of sorts he was. <laughs> I think Brian was wanting a dead. I-, I liked him sadly shaking his head, drinking his drink, you know, sucking on the straw, shaking his head while Dexter was in the back room, disapproving. <laughs> Amazing. Had Dexter been out there, out back, just <laughs> hacking her to pieces, it had been smiling and approving. I did like his comment when Dexter reappeared. Wouldn't it have been more fun to kill her than fuck her? I didn't think the ice truck killer was into necrophilia. <laughs> I enjoyed their drive after that with Dexter taking pot shots at road signs merrily like drunk teenagers on a joyride. That was pretty funny. So out of character for him. So it all seemed very clear cut that Jonah Mitchell killed both his mum and sister. As Dexter noted, it's in his blood. Did you like the Hello Dexter Morgan line? (laughs) Jonah seemed very together, and we found out that the Mitchells realised Carl Butler was really Dexter Morgan, but because they knew Dexter was trying to help them, they didn't say anything to anyone. That would explain, help help explain why in season five Jonah didn't help Quinn at all. It was funny. Jonah telling Dexter the story of what happened when Trinity supposedly murdered his mum and sister. Was Dexter just resisting the urge to shout, Bullshit! (laughs) And what about the motel? (laughs) The Shady Lane Motel. Shady Motel was right. And the proprietor. I was thinking the place might be like Bates' motel, linking with our previous listener feedback psycho references and i thought that before we saw the proprietor's name was actually norman (laughs) norm (laughs) that was great but then there were a couple of other horror references soon after whether they were deliberate or not i don't know but the scarecrow reminded me of jeepers creepers and the cornfield which could be from the same film or children of the corn did you guys spot any other horror references let me know norm (laughs) Love that name, Norm. He he was obviously being set up to be a bit dodgy, so it was no surprise uh, surprised that he pinched the knives and the forensic kit. His undoing, of course, and he got the point, all three of them. I like the camera trick, showing Brian doing the stabbing and then panning round behind Norm and seeing it's Dexter holding the handle. That was a nice touch. Norman didn't exactly fit the code, though, did he? Even though Dexter didn't have too much of a choice. But the image of Brian doing the initial stab was symbolic of it being entirely the work of the Dark Passenger, in my opinion. However, it's another instance now of Dexter killing someone outside of the code. 
it was briefly concerning, but exciting at the same time how Dexter went on to say that he feels like anything is possible. They'd kill Jonah and then keep going. <laughs> I was thinking, bloody hell, is he going to totally throw himself at the mercy of the Dark Passenger and discard the code in favour of a, a wanton killing spree? That would have certainly been a massive game-changer. But doesn't the show rely on us rooting for Dexter? So maybe it's a good thing they didn't do that. But for a few minutes there, it looked like Dexter was in that mode. I'm not sure about how they disposed of Norm's body. He wouldn't get found right away in all that grain, but he would eventually. And wouldn't a forensic exam show he'd been stabbed? And I suspect Norm would be noticed missing before then. The motel would seem abandoned, wouldn't it? People would notice. I know, yeah, I know, I'm getting back into that, quote, nitpicking, <laughs> nitpicking Dexter's kills thing, but I honestly think we can excuse him for this, as he was arguably under the total control of Brian, slash Dark Passenger, and not operating normally. Whether this catches up to him, though, I'm not sure. There wouldn't be a record of Dexter Morgan staying there. Fake signature, paying in cash. Only had his forensic kit to help him clean up. He's probably clear. Going back to the code for a sec, I like the conversation they had in the car about that. You want to kill him here or just lie in wait? Neither. Then what are we doing here? I don't know for sure that he's guilty. Not this again. Harry's code. Tell me why it matters if a person is good or bad. Does it make you feel better to kill bad people? It's part of the ritual. You don't need a justification to kill. The code is more than that. It's kept me from getting caught. It's given me a life. A life that is a big fat lie. Just like Jonah's story. What more proof do you need that Jonah's guilty? Oh, this is great. Brian, of course, never had the benefit of nurture or guidance from Harry. He was essentially an evil loose cannon from the start, and it was his downfall, ultimately. Dexter, on the other hand, he had the same innate urge to kill, but under Harry's tutelage, channeled it, and with the code, has been able to stay off the radar and maintain his freedom and have the kind of life he originally thought was totally out of his reach. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I know I'm stating the obvious here to seasoned Dexter fans, but one of the key differences between Brian and Dexter was clearly on display in this scene, so I thought it worth pointing out. It was a bit of a surprise for Jonah to quietly and very suddenly appear. I didn't quite expect that, but <laughs> neither did Dexter. But Jonah's running didn't help his appearance of guilt, <laughs> And did you groan when we saw the neighbour witnessing it? <laughs> I thought, oh no, that'll come back to bite him. And will Brian encourage Dexter to kill her? Because he's not averse to murdering witnesses, is he? Thinking back to season one and the old lady and the, you know, the cable guy thing. But it seems not in the end that it won't come back to bite him. And the truth that eventually came out was interesting. In fact, the whole nearly killing Jonah scene was key for the episode and arguably for the season. Jonah obviously wanted Dexter to kill him. Death by Dexter. Brian would have had Dexter kill him regardless. But some small light came back on in his head as Jonah expressed a conscience and remorse. 
He killed his mother only because of his sister's suicide, and he was angry at his mother for driving her to it. It's really tragic, because they were all victims of Arthur Mitchell's terrible domestic abuse, not to mention the incredible revelation that they had to deal with, that he was a serial killer. They must have all suffered some post-traumatic stress, and it's well documented that victims of domestic abuse can sometimes later suffer from mental health issues. The mother was obviously well and truly screwed up, blaming Jonah and Becca for Arthur's behaviour. You can remember some of her behaviour, some of her own behaviour in season four, remembering particularly the Hungry Man episode. So tragic. How often do victims of domestic abuse blame themselves for their partner's behaviour? Sounds like Becca couldn't take it anymore. Remember how Arthur used to lock her in her bedroom? They were all messed up. So suddenly Jonah didn't look like the cold-blooded killer Dexter thought he'd become. And the light in him won out. And we see there's another reason why Dexter let go of the guy. What if this were my son? We have come so far. He's not a monster. Don't you want to see the light in his eyes go out? No. Think how good it will feel. He has a conscience. And regret. This is the wishy-washy part of you I can't stand. Uh-oh. Bobby's mad. Dexter saw the potential for Harrison to be screwed up by Dexter being a killer, whether it's in the blood or if he eventually learns the truth. I like the use of the word Biney there, another nice nod back to season one and young Dexter's nickname for his brother. The confrontation between the two was brief, but quite intense in that Dexter was resolute. He'd made up his mind, and once he had, rejecting Brian was easy. I liked his comment, I'm stronger than you, to Brian. The implication being that the light is stronger than the darkness, perhaps a metaphor for religion there. And Jonah, saying, how am I supposed to live with this? And Dexter's response, forgive yourself, as he ploughed his car through Brian, who then disappeared. Was this a massive bit of symbolism? He talked about how darkness can't exist on its own and is defined by light. He's realised there just has to be light within him, reinforced by him then picking up a hitchhiking Harry at the Miami city limit who says, who says welcome home son, and not chastising him at all. That was nice. Is this a final rejection and victory over the dark passenger? Is Dexter forgiving himself? We'll maybe find out next week, won't we? So that was pretty much Dexter's story through this episode. And very strong it was. Elsewhere, I said early in the season that I didn't fancy Travis's sister's chances of surviving the season. Could it be any more obvious now that she's going to end up being the Whore of Babylon? Travis royally pissed off Geller this week... And the planting of the photo back into his apartment really seems to foreshadow it. Of course, we still don't know for sure if Geller's real or not. And frankly, I'm getting tired asking the question. <laughs> the woman that Travis released last week, as we anticipated, she got interviewed by police and revealed there are two killers at work. But it doesn't sound like she specifically saw Geller, just heard two voices. Remember a listener compared Travis to Norman Bates from Psycho last week? It is still possible that this could turn out to be true, 
and all the girl heard was Travis essentially talking to himself, doing two different voices. Will we eventually see Travis having a conversation with himself as both people? But at least we may have found out what Travis was collecting bottles of his own blood for. They were pouring it down that woman's throat? Oh, that's just gross. There was so much of it in that fridge we saw last week. Was it all for her ingestion? Ugh. <coughs> the police... <laughs> the police later learn more about the horror of Babylon thing and that she'd feast on the blood of the saints. So that explains them giving the girl blood to drink. Yet, didn't we only see Travis's blood, not Geller's? Geller referred to he and Travis as being the two witnesses, so why not his blood too? Unless he isn't real. Gah! <laughs> this bloody question just won't go away, will it? God! <laughs> it's funny seeing Travis talk to his sister. Sorry, just getting back on point. <laughs> not amusing myself with my uh, strange noises. <laughs> Yeah, that domestic scene, Travis talking to his sister. He's making jokes. It's just normal. No hint of any madness. It kind of makes me lean towards him being totally barking bonkers mad. That he can shut out all the insanity he's involved with. That said, because we still don't know for sure if Geller's real. There is still the chance that Travis is just a sad manipulated man who's allowed himself to get influenced into doing some terrible things. Actually, some of what we're seeing does suggest Geller is real. So, I don't know. Maybe there's... <laughs> here's a thing. Maybe there's never been a mystery. And that's why it's never been addressed in the show. Perhaps the writers didn't realise it'd be so ambiguous. And... <laughs> We audience members, maybe we're all just too clever for our own good. Then the obvious answer is the real one. Geller is real. Oh, no doubt we'll talk about this in the feedback section and next week and the week after. <laughs> oh, I guess we'll be asking this question until Dexter eventually meets him. <laughs> Roll on. <laughs> and as we saw, we saw Travis rejecting Geller, be him in his head or not. And all the foreshadowing points to some very dire consequences. Remembering what happened when Travis went off and did the dirty deed with that waitress. I don't think his sister will be seeing Christmas, let's just say that. I was intrigued how, Harry, how Travis was upset at Geller telling him stories of terrible things happening in the world. He really is sensitive to people's suffering. Quite a contrast. He wanted to give that woman painkiller last week, didn't he? Has he been brainwashed by Geller into thinking that by doing these things they're doing, the world can be somehow purged of all evil and bring an end to suffering? And then Deb. LaGuerta. Oh, she gave her a grilling, didn't she, over the crime stats. And we can think, what a bitch, but she made a good point about it being her first stats meeting as captain that she had to make a good impression too. You, well, you know, it's fair enough. There's not much to say about the interaction between LaGuerta and Deb this week, except, except to say that there was a simple challenge to improve the numbers and that by catching Doomsday, they can... Well, it'll make a dramatic difference to the numbers. 
fresh impetus for Deborah. But what struck me more was the scene with Quinn. That was a good scene and a bit sad too. Deb really still seems to have feelings for him and he was clearly prepared to get back with her. But I guess things have gone too far or come too far and in a new position as lieutenant, bearing in mind LaGuerta's comment about losing a relationship because of the job. In her new position, Deb's not prepared to go back to having a relationship with a colleague. And that might have put paid to any potential affair with Mike Anderson too, which, as you know, I, it wasn't something I was in favour of anyway. But maybe this scene will help Deb give her some closure on that part of her life. And then Lewis and Jamie. I didn't think I'd be devoting a section of the review to uh, talking about Jamie. These two dating... He, of course, is developing a video game modelled on Miami Metro Homicide. Now, I'm sure this isn't just a throwaway scene between two presumably one-season guest stars. At least that's my gut feeling. We know that Lewis thinks Dexter's awesome. <laughs> He's developing this game based on the department. So I have some questions. Is he going to model his game's hero on Dexter? Or the villain, perhaps? Is he going to have a nosy around Dex's apartment on the sly, looking for inspiration for the game? Is he going to model Dexter's in-game character as a secret murderer? Maybe look around the, the apartment for a likely place to hide his trophies? Maybe Q Harrison pointing at the aircon saying, Daddy's box. <laughs> I'm just speculating, of course, and all working on the assumption this wasn't a throwaway conversation prior to Deb's arrival in the apartment. Overall, I thought this was perhaps the strongest episode of the season. I've seen some criticism of it around, but my immediate reaction was positive. There was genuine tension, Dexter in jeopardy, in a fashion. The darkness threatening to consume him permanently. It was good to find out what happened with the Mitchells, and they've left Jonah alive to maybe pop up again later. Although, again gut feeling time, I'm not sure we'll be seeing him again. Oh, there we go. Interruption. Thank you, yellow van. <laughs> but I wonder about Jonah, just leaving the door open there. Will he maybe now resent Dexter for letting him live? And having to live with this this weight, this burden he's got now. Will Jonah maybe make a call to the police about the Kyle Butler connection? By way of getting some sort of payback to Dexter. My only disappointment this episode, really, is that the Brian return seems to have just been for one episode. I've not seen the preview for next week, so I don't know if he reappears. Um, so, you know, I could stand to be corrected. But on the face of it, it looks like he's disappeared. And that was all very symbolic at the end of the episode. Personally, I'd have liked more of Brian. And I'd have liked for us to think for longer that Dexter had turned to the dark side for the long haul. Just kind of tease that radical change. But overall, for me, a really good episode with a nice, a few nice callbacks to season one, including the Latin music that played right at the end. That music was straight out of the pilot in the moment after Dexter killed Mike Donovan. <laughs> I love these little references they've been giving us this season. Little nuggets for us long-term hardcore Dexterites. 
But honestly, for the first time this season, for some of this episode, I was on the edge of my seat. I was really into it. My mind wasn't distracted. I, my mind wasn't wandering for the whole of the episode. And that's the first time, really, this season that just about the entire episode has has had me glued to the screen. So, you know, if episodes can be judged by how you know what sort of percentage of the episode that happens for then this was a hit for me whether you agree or not and i know that some of you don't so uh hey why don't we get into that <laughs> let's get into the listener feedback and hear what you guys thought listener feedback We'll get straight into the emails because we've got loads of feedback this week, positive and negative, which is really good. So firstly, a couple of emails that arrived in between episodes, pretty much in response to the last podcast. First, Tom from Poland, who says, I was very positively surprised by listener Diana's email to the podcast. I really enjoyed it and I completely agree with it. A few other things. Brother Sam being killed was a surprise for me. I was enjoying that character. I really don't believe that Geller isn't real. That newspaper thing convinced me. Quinn pisses me off. I'm enjoying the show a lot. None of the others that are currently being aired has more of my interest, except Community, to which episodes I also look forward very much. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Tom. It's nice that Dexter is your favourite show currently on the air. And interesting that you mentioned Community. That is a show that I am very slowly working my way through season one. I like the characters, I like the chemistry between them and the banter, but uh, I'm just not finding it as funny as I hoped. I, I can't remember if I talked about this show on the podcast before, whether it was on Gareth's Waste of Time. But of course, this is Dexter, so um, <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed Deanna's email. I'm sure she'll be very glad that you appreciated it. I thought it was very, very brave of her to stick her head above the parapet and uh, discuss the show from that religious perspective. And speaking of Deanna, she also emailed in between podcasts and she says, Hi Gareth, please don't apologise for talking about your family and outings. I for one appreciate hearing about those little tidbits from your life. Hey, now I know a little about Guy Fawkes Day. I wrote in today to address a question you mused about briefly during your last podcast, Just Let Go. You said, Nick himself obviously let himself be taken in by Sam, or was he so naive or dim-witted that he thought he could get baptised and within a couple of hours his life would be magically improved, as if someone had waved a magic wand. Brother Sam is no Harry Potter. You're right that the writers needed to use Nick as an antagonist to push Dexter. He was going to forgive Nick until his mockery. If Dexter converts and stops killing, we're left without the central plot point that sustains the show. Sam told Dexter as long as there was some light, it could push away the dark. Nick's betrayal extinguished the last of the light. Enter Brian. Incidentally, I was so shocked and agree that that moment elevated the entire episode. But was Nick naive or dim-witted? 
Nick is typical of the Western attitude of entitlement to happiness. Everything is supposed to bring you happiness from your job to your marriage. And if they don't, get a new job, get a divorce and a new relationship. Some Protestant evangelicals preach that if you have truly accepted Jesus into your heart, you will be blessed, and those blessings are literal dollars and happiness. I can't recall anywhere in the Bible where Jesus promises earthly happiness and wealth. Consider the book of Job, a man who loved God but endured every kind of misery. In fact, one of Jesus' most famous speeches, the Sermon of the Mount, where he preaches the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, etc. He was lending comfort to those with trials on earth, that they will f find their reward in heaven. We are here only for a short time compared to eternity in heaven. Early Christians were very aware that they must wait for true happiness in heaven. In fact, they were prepared to face martyrdom as their ticket to heaven. Even today, in some countries, Christians face death for their beliefs. I'm sure that initially Nick truly saw Sam as someone to admire and emulate. When Nick proclaims, nothing changed, my life was shit before he dunked me under those waves and it's still shit, it shows that he did expect some instant change. Instead of trying to find strength and assistance in his faith to continue to fight his demons, like Sam did, he expected God to do it for him. Many see God as some cosmic granter of wishes. Consider that the only time many pray is to ask for favours or the athletes and sport teams that pray for wins. Nick was an immature addict who was not yet ready to change his life. Often, converts of many kind, born-again Christians, alcoholics that have kicked the bottle, people who leave abusive relationships, they experience that initial glow of acceptance and love, then fail when the real work of change begins. Because of Nick's betrayal, Dexter gives in to his dark passenger, the next episodes with Brian on Dexter's shoulder as the proverbial devil will be fascinating and fun. I wonder if the light that Harrison is capable of bringing into Dexter's life will be enough to hold the dark at bay by the season's end. P.S. Is that the first time you've added outtakes to the end of the closing music? Do I need to go back and reload past podcasts to listen for them? Made me laugh. You deliver such a smooth podcast in your sultry voice. <laughs> and educated accent to my North American ears that your blunders caught me off guard. I was certain you recorded in one smooth stream of consciousness. Thanks, Deanna. <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh there at <laughs> being referred to as having a sultry voice. <laughs> I like it. Your emails recently from a religious perspective really, really help add tremendously to the analysis of the show and come from an angle personally I am not able to cover myself. I'm not a religious person. I was brought up Christian in a church, but had questions and doubts as I got older. Kind of personal to talk about it, I guess, but, you know, it seems relevant now as you've put yourself out there, so to speak. I personally am in a place now where I think there is more than the corporeal existence, but I'm not quite sure what that is. And I don't believe there is an all-powerful deity overseeing everything. That's where I am at at this point in my life. But your analysis there really develops and expands on the questions that we raised last time. Nick was perhaps typical of certain people who expect a quick return from accepting religion. So even though he was positioned as an antagonist, he wasn't entirely atypical of someone lacking patience with God or religion in general. 
<laughs> with regard to the outtakes, that was the first time I've done it, so don't worry about going back to find others in old podcasts. <laughs> I don't know what pushed me to do it this time. I think the one where I was trying to read that line and thought I had it pegged only to mess it up again, <laughs> it made me laugh to hear it back. <laughs> if I get any good ones in the future, I'll tack them on. You'll have to listen through the end music to find out, though. <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't record the whole podcast in one constant, one single stream of consciousness. Uh, there's kind of too much going on, and I do like to give thought to what I'm going to say before I say it. Uh, you know, with it, being a, with it being a solo podcast, it's, it's really all on me to um, sort of put the opinions out there, certainly in the review section. In the feedback, it's different because I'm responding to what you guys say. But I do like to give thought and, and take care that I include everything I want to say. So I do have uh, plenty of notes before I record. And, and often I do record over a couple of days as, as time allows, as time dictates. So thanks again, Deanna. On to the feedback for episode seven, Nebraska. Firstly, Barbara in New York, who says, three quick thoughts on the episode. No matter how much fun it was to see Dexter go a little crazy with his ghost brother, I was very happy when Harry climbed back into the car. In fact, I cheered. My favourite line was from Brian to Dexter. You don't turn the other cheek, you slice it. Wonderful. I suppose it's inevitable that Travis's sister is going to be the horror of Babylon, isn't it? Well, that's it. And by the way, please, please include a few more podcast outtakes. They're adorable. Sneezes and all. <laughs> My word, <laughs> those sneezes were popular. <laughs> Thanks, Barbara. <laughs> I've had uh, a couple of other comments on, on Twitter as well about the sneezes. <laughs> um, I wasn't quite sure whether to include those. Um, you know, bodily noises aren't always um, appropriate, but uh, it just made me chuckle, especially since there were five of them. Not something I do every day. <laughs> uh, oh, bless Harry. Yeah, like you, I got a warm, fuzzy feeling seeing Harry get in the car too. And yes, I also think that Lisa Marshall has a tableau waiting for her. This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. That helps me control the chaos. Hi Gareth, it's Ian from Bristol. Just giving some short feedback on the Dexter Season 6 episode in Nebraska. Um, it was an interesting diversion from the core story this week. Um, it followed Dexter as he battled with his conscience and his dark passenger, and it was a surprise to see Brian Mosler turn up at the end of the previous episode and uh, appear all the way throughout this one. Uh, my question is, does it open up Dexter to getting guidance from other people in the future, though? Perhaps we can see Rita, Dokes, or even Trinity come back and, and, and be his conscience for a while. I really like the idea of Dexter going wild on a mad road trip. Um, so he saw him go out of control and, you know, sex in the 7-Eleven with the girl and uh, stealing the gun and shooting up the road signs and generally acting like a, like a teenager. Um, and the normally in control Dexter uh, letting himself go completely wild with Brian. It was uh, a joy to see. I wonder if this is what De Dexter would have been like if Harry had not been present to control him a little bit more and he'd been able to give in to his, to his own urges. Well, we're still no closer to deciding if Professor Geller is a dark passenger or not. Um, I assume it will be revealed in one of the later episodes. We'll just have to wait and see. But it's interesting to see the split between the Professor and Travis. So if, if Travis is an unwilling accomplice, then this makes him a much more interesting and complex character, uh, especially if Gary is revealed to be a dark passenger, um, as it would be 
in effect, Travis would be fighting with his own split personality, um, I guess just like Dexter has done with Brian. In fact, the way that Dexter let Trinity's son go, perhaps he'll let Travis go for the same reason, i.e. he shows some remorse. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, on to Debs. She was on swearing form this week with uh, a classic fucktopia. Um, she never feel, fails to please. Um, but it was touching to see the conversation between Debs and Quinn, um, where they kind of uh, made up and became friends slightly again. Uh, perhaps Debs will change her mind and decide that Quinn is the right man for her after all. So that could be a, a good story at the end of the season. Um, ominously, the new forensics intern and Dexter's babysitter are spending um, plenty of time in Dexter's apartment. So how long can those blood slides stay hidden? Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, overall, another great episode with plenty of food for thought. All the characters are nicely rounded and plenty to do. Um, the story pacing is really good this season. Um, the main story has enough kind of what-the-fuck moments to keep our interest. And the subplots of the Dark Passengers and Deb's promotions and break-up with Quinn are moving along nicely too. Um, I know that we shouldn't rate the series before it's complete, but this is looking like a good one um, so far. So uh, thanks for your podcast, Gareth, and speak to you soon, hopefully. Bye-bye. Thanks, Ian. Good to hear from you again, mate. You uh, put out there the possibility that Brian leaves the door open for other dead people to appear to Dexter. Technically, yes, it does. But I kind of hope not, though. It could get a little bit silly, perhaps, and cheapen Harry being there all this time as Dexter's Jiminy Cricket, if you like. And you, you mentioned about Geller uh, being a dark passenger again. Um, I read an interview with Scott Buck, the showrunner, and I, I do realise now that they are aware of the ambiguity of how Geller has been shown on screen. But he's giving nothing away, and uh, that's good. I don't want to know either way, not outside of the show. When they choose to reveal it, that's fine by me. Um, I'm kind of, as I said last week, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I'm fed up talking about it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the longer it goes on, the, the I guess it'll just keep coming up. So, you know, that's fine. Dexter letting Travis go for showing remorse, ultimately. I, I think it's fair that Travis is going to be on Dexter's kill table, or certainly in danger of being on Dexter's kill table before the end. Whether Dexter will let him go for showing remorse, it's definitely a possibility. And you feel that this is shaping up to be a good season. And I have to agree, on the back of the last couple of episodes, it's definitely on an upturn. But, as we shall discover, uh, we're not... Well, or I should say, ours is not the only opinion. OK, thanks... Ian, on to an email from Mike in Pittsburgh, who says, Here are my thoughts on Nebraska. I really enjoyed the re-emergence of the Trinity case, and I like the fact that the Jonah situation has been left unresolved. Although Dexter no longer sees the need to dispose of Jonah, this does leave someone alive that knows at least a piece of Dexter's secret. I also appreciated the brotherly dynamic between Rudy and Dexter, and was sad to see it end so quickly. We've grown used to Dexter's character journey from light to dark and back again, but this all happened over the course of one episode and was a little too rushed for me. I would have liked to see the Rudy as Dark Passenger storyline play out a bit more. Oh, and one prediction. The new lab intern, slash 
Angel's sister's boyfriend, is up to no good and will play a villainous role in the next few episodes. His professional obsession with Dexter is too excessive to represent pure admiration. Thanks, Gareth, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Mike. Yes, indeed, Jonah is in a very small club, a very privileged position. He doesn't know the full extent of Dexter's crimes, but he knows enough to cause some serious trouble if he decided to go that way. Which of them has more to lose if push came to shove out of he and Dexter? And I agree, the uh, Brian, or Rudy as you called him, the, the return was a bit short-lived. I'd have liked them to have gone on for longer with that, and the teasing of whether Dexter had properly turned to the dark side. That said, I've not seen any further previews. I don't know if this is it for Brian, or whether he'll pop up again. It felt fairly final, though, when he disappeared. And as for Lewis, Masuka's intern, I don't feel like he's going to be a bad guy as such, but I get the feeling that through his game research, he'll end up prying and finding out something that Dexter doesn't want him to. Thanks again, Mike. On to an email from Sandy in Seattle. Who writes to say, Dexter was really, really good this week. Finally, it's going somewhere. Especially after seeing the preview for next week. Oh, we won't go there. <laughs> Sandy continues. How fun to have Brian as the devil on your shoulder sidekick for the whole show. That was a fun twist. And then the Trinity resurfacing. That was out of left field too, but how exciting. I can't help but feel nervous though that Jonah is still out there. And with Dexter's secret. The one really strange scene was in the car with Dexter shooting the gun. That was just weird and the special effects were bad. But they made up for it having Brian and Dexter pose for the American Gothic painting. I quite enjoyed that. Plus lots of good scenes with Dexter being clever, cool, quick, strong and awesome. There hasn't been quite enough of that in later seasons for my tastes. I still love Masuka's assistant. He's great and I actually felt bad for Quinn that Deb wouldn't take him back. Poor guy. Oh, I'm still torn about Geller being dead or alive. The blindfolded girl who says she heard two voices may have put the axe in that. Or maybe Travis is schizo. Either way, I enjoyed Travis standing up to him and trying to break free. As for how I've been feeling about Dexter overall, I really like the email you read from Mike last week. He put it all perfectly into words that some things I hadn't even realised I'd been feeling about the void Rita left behind and how interesting that made the show when Dexter was trying to walk that tightrope. I do miss those days. He's been so lost since, and sometimes it feels the writers themselves are lost. Not sure if they want Dexter to find the light or find the dark, if they want him to question himself or not. And it's unfortunate that Astor and Cody have disappeared, especially after the growth and progress that Dexter had made in his relationship with Astor. I still remember how powerful that scene was when he told her he loved her. Oh well, I hope they figure out a path for him that makes sense for him as a character and us as viewers. Well, I rambled on more than I planned to, but one last thing. How great was it when Jonah and Dexter walked towards one another in the store in slow motion, only, have to, only to have Jonah say, Hello Dexter Morgan. That was a little thrill, and a flashback of one of my favourite Dexter scenes ever. So good, I'm more excited for the season now. And by the way, I love hearing you read my emails. They sound so much better in your accent than in my head. Cheers, Sandy in Seattle. <laughs> Thanks, Sandy. It's really nice you guys don't mind my British accent and pronunciations. I remember when I was in Canada back in 1993 and 94, I often got told things like, I love your accent, man, it's neat. 
I hadn't thought it was, but I appreciated the sentiment. <laughs> so I'm glad that's still the case, that you appreciate my uh, British idiosyncrasies. <laughs> oh, how we used to lament the obstacles that Rita and domestic life put in Dexter's way. I wasn't as anti-Rita as others seemed to be, but she was positioned in that role by the writers, so I don't really blame her. But it was a long-standing dynamic of the show, and with that gone, it was a game-changer, and the show hasn't been the same since, for better or worse, depending on your point of view. But the void left by family life with Rita has arguably never been filled. Well, nothing long-term, anyway. I must admit... Sandy that the American Gothic reference passed me by, but looking at the painting on Google and the image of Brian and Dexter, I can see it now. It's a painting I have seen before, but maybe only once or twice, and I certainly wouldn't have known the name of it, so the reference passed me by as the episode was airing. But in hindsight, it was a nice touch by the creative team. It's really encouraging that they're putting in these little things in the background. It rewards the most observant viewers. I do agree with your feeling that the writers seem a little bit unsure of how to proceed with Dexter's personal journey. I think the main problem is that they don't know how many more seasons they have to tell their story. And that's a real problem. With an end date, they can make plans for the pacing of the story's conclusion. They need to sort out Hall's contra contract, quite honestly. That'll settle the question of how long the show has left to run. This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. It doesn't matter what I do. Born in blood. Both of us. Hey, Gareth. It's Ken. Um, just calling in to talk about uh, last episode. Um, start off by saying, um, I think a lot of fans, and myself personally, have always felt that technology has kind of been kind of hokey in the show, you know, like the all the cell phones look the same and pretty cheesy. And um, for a long time I accepted it because I'm like, well, okay, they have to get the point across, you know, who's texting who. Um, uh, but I, I, I watched seasons one and two of Breaking Bad now, and um, they do a magnificent job of showing um, cell phones and text messages, and uh, it all looks very realistic, and it gets the point across without being too simplistic and too stupid. Um, that being said, recently, um, with the character Lewis being like this computer genius and everything, um, his video game looks pretty legit, like something we expected a solo team to make. That looks pretty good. Um, so it looks good. That's great. Unfortunately, I feel kind of... Mm, I, I'll, I'll word it like this. Um, we're supposed to believe that Lewis is this computer genius. Like, he's super smart. He can do all this stuff with computers. Uh, and yet, he's making a video game based off of real life cops and a real life homicide department. <sighs> How is he so smart to do all that computer stuff, but so stupid to think that he could? get away with making a video game based off of real-life cops and real-life cases. Like, it doesn't work that way. And, uh... I'm really interested in seeing where this is going. I mean, it's going to have some payoff, but... 
I can't help but cringe just a little bit that video games are somehow going to be a big part of the next half of the season. But, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Basically, what's going on with Lewis in this video game? Thanks, Ken. Your comments there focus on the recent technological aspects to the show. And quite often in TV shows, Dexter especially, you refer to the cheesy tech, particularly with the cell phones. Yeah, when they look at the displays, uh, they don't look like any mobile phone display that I've seen. They seem to be a bit too bold, more for our benefit than the characters. <laughs> the video game, you say it looked good. Yes, indeed. The graphics were pretty good. He's obviously pretty talented, a, a talented developer. But, yeah, Lewis, he could get in real bother for developing what presumably may, or he hopes will end up, a publicly accessible video game that's based on real-life police officers, detectives, some of whom may sometimes do undercover work, maybe depicting real cases. He could get in a lot of legal bother. I, I don't know... I feel it might just be a plot device to have him snooping. <laughs> That's my theory for Lewis. But uh, thanks for the voicemail. It's good to, good to hear your thoughts. OK, another email now that says, I'm a listener from Norway and a big series fan. Quick question, have you got any other fans from Norway? I just wanted to say that I really love listening to the podcast every week. Always looking forward to it. A quick review on the episode Nebraska. Wow, was that a great episode or what? I really love seeing Dexter kind of struggle with the Dark Passenger and winning in the end. He should be able to understand now that when he's out of control, he's walking a real thin red line there. Like, he killed that pot-growing guy and that woman saw him when he was out at the house. I really like this episode. As for Geller, I don't know. I go back and forward thinking that he might be alive. There are bits and pieces where he is alive and where Travis just imagines him. That's my thought for now. Thanks again for doing such a great job bringing the podcast to us Dexter junkies. Take care from Lost Junkie on Twitter. Although that came in via email. <laughs> Thanks very much. No other listeners that I know of from Norway. But I do know we've got Casper from Denmark, who we'll hear from in a minute, and Chris from Sweden, who emailed last week. So Scandinavia is pretty nicely covered. Although if, you know, if anyone from Finland, Finland wants to drop me a line, that'd be nice. Yes, Dexter does walk a thin line sometimes. Killing Norm, the motel guy, was a risk. More of a knee-jerk reaction. Plus, the neighbour who witnessed Dexter at the Mitchell house. He wasn't on his A-game this week, it seems, and I blame Brian, the dark passenger. Hopefully he'll be back on track next week. As for Geller, your theory is a possibility that there is the real Geller, and then one that Travis imagines. My gut feeling... I don't know, I feel like it might be changing again and I'm leaning towards Geller being real. Oh, God. <laughs> but who knows, it may change again next week. <laughs> hey, Gareth, this is Travis. And to be honest, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about this past week's episode. I don't really feel uh, strongly about it either way, uh, good or bad. 
Uh, it was interesting to me just talking to my immediate friends and peers about what they thought of the episode. And this episode's getting some pretty violent reactions out of them. Like, a lot of people really hated this episode that I know. And they were, like, offended by it. They took it personally. So I'm curious to see what other listeners have to say. I mean, I, I could kind of see what why they'd feel that way. Maybe not so strongly, but... I know they... Someone I talked to said that they thought the episode was just silly and Dexter is so out of character. But in my opinion, I mean, it's not any more silly or out of character than Dexter's already been this entire season. But, uh, you know, I love seeing Brian back. And with the introduction of... Reintroduction of Jonah and the Trinity story. I mean, it's kind of like what I said last week. It was, it was fan service, right? The fans should be happy, right? So, I don't know what people are upset about. Perhaps it's... They feel it's a wasted opportunity because we all would have liked to have seen Brian be back for more than one episode, but I think this probably is the last time we see him, right? I mean, it was such a a big deal when he disappeared. I I can't imagine we'll see him any time again this the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, just about this episode, just being silly, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you know, the the show's certainly playing fast and loose with how hallucinations or how visions work. You know, Brian stabbing that dude, and then, you know, it turns out it was really Dexter. That maybe gives us an insight as to how Geller and Travis work. Uh, you know, if we know that Brian's able to stab someone, then that, that I think this could add more credence to Geller not being real. Uh, if he, you know, anything, anytime Geller does say anything, you could just assume, oh, well, Brian stabbed somebody. Uh, speaking of that guy that he stabbed, that was pro- that's probably the scene that, uh, that upset me the most. Uh, upset's maybe a strong word, but it just didn't make sense. This guy assumes Dexter has money because he has a nice car and he's from a big city. Uh, if I were, if I were from the Midwest, I'd be a little offended that I'm being so stereotyped as such a, an ignorant person. But anyway... Uh, he thinks he's from the big. He thinks from the big city. He's got a lot of money because he has a nice car. And then he thinks he's from the DEA or some other federal agency. And so his idea is to frame him, or I'm sorry, to blackmail him. You know, he has his knives, his gun, and his forensics kit. That's not even worth like five hundred dollars, let alone ten thousand dollars. I don't understand what the point of that scene was. Uh, Dexter would have had to have left to go get that money anyway. Why didn't that guy just assume Dexter would say screw it and not come back? I don't get it. Maybe the show just needed another reason for Dexter to quote-unquote give in to his darkness that they love talking about so much. Speaking of that guy, that pen that Dexter took from the hotel place, you know that's going to come back. We got a nice clean shot that it says, this, you know, Kearney, Nebraska, the town he was in. Someone, i.e. Deb, is going to find that. And although, you know, I don't think it's going to link him to anybody's murder... You know, it's definitely going to become, uh, it's going to raise some eyebrows, right? It's got to. Why else would they show us that? Um, the whole thing, I, I'm not convinced that everything that's going on with uh, Masuka's intern and with Batista's sister, I mean, I don't know. It's hard It's hard for me to get involved in that because I don't think that's even going to be important by the end of this season, let alone next season. I mean, Masuka's intern is showing that goofy video game that he made. Like, that's not creepy at all. M- you know, modeling, you know, your a video game after uh, your coworkers. Uh, it's bizarre. Uh, I think uh, overall, just the thoughts of the season so far. 
I think it kind of says a lot about the season when no one really cares about the uh, DDK or the Doomsday Killers. Uh, no one's really talking about them other than is Geller real or not. But I don't know. I can't. I, I have a hard time uh, getting excited about that story or or anything because I don't know. No one. It's not really interesting. I don't know. Anyway, Gareth, I guess that's it. Before I start to ramble, I'll let you go. Uh, thanks for all the work, man. Thanks, Travis. You always manage to put some very thought-provoking thoughts down on... Well, I want to say down on paper, but you know what I mean. In your voicemails. <laughs> you talk about a wasted opportunity and how some of the things Dexter did were silly and out of character. You know, I can't help but feel whatever they did with a Brian return, the writers that is, that some fans would have remained unhappy... It's like I said last week, you can't please all the people all of the time. I thought a couple of things were out of character for Dexter, especially bonking the teenager in the back room of the of the shop at the gas station. That was pretty shocking to me. And also the joyriding, firing a gun from the window at road signs. Crazy teenager stuff, not the sort of thing you expect from a disturbed 40-year-old single dad, father of one serial killer. So, I can understand some people being taken aback by some of it, but I would counter by saying he was he was briefly seduced by his dark passenger, by Brian, and almost had to go through this in order to accept that he really does have light in him. He let Jonah go to forgive, something he couldn't do with Nick, but unlike Nick, Jonah arguably didn't kill in cold blood and did display remorse. Different case, and one Dexter found much easier to forgive. I don't know if you could call it Dexter hitting rock bottom with his dark passenger, but the episode could be a little bit of a metaphor for that. Uh, Travis, you talk about the $10,000 being quite a steep amount for Norm to ask for, and how the show maybe stereotyped Midwesterners. Yeah, Norm... <laughs> He did seem like a bit of a stereotypical hick in some ways, although, to begin with, he did seem helpful. He really stuck his neck out by trying to blackmail Dexter. He didn't know who this guy was, but he obviously hadn't thought it through. Did he think that Dexter had $10,000 on him? Like you say, Travis, were those items he had worth $10,000 to Dexter? Did Norm have a feeling there was a lot more to Dexter than... Uh, and, and that the knives had some other value that they'd be worth paying up for. You mentioned the motel pen and predict that Deb will discover it. Yeah, the words on the pen were shown very clearly, and you can't help but feel it'll come into play when Deb's wondering where Dexter's been, what he's been doing. She won't be happy about being lied to. It makes complete sense that she'll be the one to find the pen, maybe next episode. Right, here's an email. Casper from Denmark, who says, As I promised, I send you herewith a mail about my thoughts on Dexter episode 7. As I wrote on Twitter, I was disappointed with this week's episode. The reason for this was perhaps because I had seen the preview and therefore knew that the episode would be about Trinity. And when I knew that Brian was also back, I thought, it cannot go wrong. But it did. I feel that the writers have had the fantastic opportunity to make one of the best episodes of this season but they missed that opportunity by being so focused on Dexter having to find his dark side so he did things he would never do like shag that girl to steal a gun 
or to tell a witness in a major murder case that he killed his dad. The Trinity Killer, that is. I mean, I know that we had to see Dexter fight the dark side, but come on, what about the code? Well, maybe I'm too negative. But I just had greater expectations on this episode. That's it from me. Thanks again for your great podcast. I'm looking forward to it every week. Thanks, Casper. Really appreciate you emailing. I did respond to your Twitter message and invited you to email him just to elaborate on why you were so disappointed in the episode and thanks for doing that. It's great to get a counterbalance to all the positive feedback or mostly positive feedback I've received from Nebraska. I did hear that opinion was rather divided on the internet but until you wrote everyone up until then who'd written or phoned in was pretty much almost completely positive. I'm sure it didn't help you that you'd been spoiled about the Trinity case coming back Plus, you say that you knew Brian was returning too, so two big surprises in two weeks were spoiled for you. Which is a shame. Maybe having genuine surprises would have made the episodes better for you, perhaps. You mentioned that Dexter did all this stuff and basically threw the code aside. That's true, but remember he had Brian pulling his strings and Brian doesn't agree with the code. He never did. So really, the code went out of the window for the most part. Remember, the code was established by Harry to help Dexter channel his dark passenger and stay undetected. But with the code in the bin for a week, the dark passenger was out of control. And so he did some of these crazy things. I think the big problem people had with this episode was that with Brian returning, we all suddenly had high expectations and did the writers ever have much chance of meeting them? Whatever they did with it, it feels that they may have always been destined not to fulfil our high expectations completely. I don't know, perhaps when the season's done, Casper, you'll look back and maybe view things differently. Hey, Gareth. Uh, it's Josh here, and I just got done watching season six, episode seven. What? Oh, my God, this is the best episode of Dexter I've seen in such a long time. It was so good. Every bit of it was awesome. Wow, I am less speechless, except that I'm talking. Um, wow, that was excellent. The um, the chemistry between Dexter and Brian was amazing. I wish it could, I wish it lasted more than a week, but it was good. And how Dexter got over his dark side and actually let Jonah live, I didn't expect that. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, and at the end of the episode. Putting Harry back in the car. Oh, it was amazing. It was uh, such good writing. It's such good writing. It's a, it was a refreshing. It's refreshing. It, it that was an amazing episode. Um, I also actually liked um, Devin Quinn. The the scene they had uh, in the office was very um, good. It was touching a little bit. I've always. I've um, been negative on the relationship, relationships in Dexter for a long time now, but I mean, that was actually good. Yeah, I felt uh, so like Quinn's gonna, you know, I'm happy where he, I'm happy that they did that for him. He him seem a little more mature. Always kind of dislike how they made him seem kind of like immature. You know, he's reacts poorly to situations like that. It's good to see him. Again, a little bit of dignity. 
I mean, what a great episode bringing Jonah back is was well, such a great idea. Of course, I had to give it away in the um, last time on Dexter, but um, it was I mean, amazing. And Jonah, that Jonah, the guy that plays Jonah, is a very good actor. I liked his chemistry with Dexter this week. It's good, good storyline. It's great. I'm just so excited. <laughs> so it was the best episode of Dexter I've seen. Ah. I wasn't hungry, man. Yeah, it was great. I honestly don't have a lot to say about it right now. Other than what I just said, it was just amazing. I'm so happy that they they pulled through with such an awesome episode. Every bit of it. I have nothing. I have nothing to say that's negative about it. I just love the whole thing. It was great. And that's all I have to say, Gareth. I mean. Ah, great episode. All right, thanks. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Is that serious shit? <laughs> hey, guys, it's Josh again. Uh, sorry to be messaging in again, calling in again. This morning after the episode, and there's just a few other thoughts I have real quick to share with you. Um, First off is... Oh, one of the things I really liked about this episode was that they used a lot of the old Trinity music from season four. When I think Dexter first saw Jonah in the store, started playing some Trinity music. Show up because I'm a big fan of the music in the show, so that was a nice callback. Um, I also have a concern. This, this episode was a little fast. The whole arc with Brian happened in one episode. It was great, and I loved it. it, was a, it was, this episode was packed full of goodness. But now where's the season going? I thought this was going to be like a, I don't know, a couple episodes are, maybe two, three, four. But it seems to be over in one, which is fine, because honestly, that was one of the best episodes I've seen in a long time. Uh, so I want to comment on the Travis and Geller storyline, which I forgot to. And they're still being ambiguous as ever. Um... I still don't know where they're going with Travis. Like, he's he's near the big bad this season. I I don't understand it. I was completely sure that Killer was a ghost. I mean, I rather think Killer was a dark passenger. And now I'm going on the fence again because he's doing some real people stuff. I don't know. And I also like um the part where uh. Because you killed that uh, hotel manager, dude. And uh, it showed Brian stabbing him with the um, pitchfork, and then it showed back to it. It was kind of a nice effect. It was a little weird, though. And um, this is about it. That's all I have to share. I just really like to call back to the training music because I love the music in Dexter. And that's it. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, Josh. I have to agree with you. For me... It was also the best episode in quite a while. <laughs> yeah, your voicemail. I did get the sneaky feeling you liked this one. <laughs> you mentioned the Quinn and Deb scene, making it, making Quinn seem more mature. I agree, it was good for the character and restored some dignity for him. You had the Trinity surprise spoiled. That was a shame. It was also spoiled in the Dexter Facebook feed 
where it previewed the next episode saying Trinity killed again. So it, it was telegraphed. And uh, unfortunately, that was one spoiler that I saw. You're still on the fence about Geller. <laughs> Every time I think about it, my opinion changes. I I guess I'm still on the fence to a large extent, but I'm leaning slightly towards Geller being real at the moment. But as I say, maybe next week that will have changed again. <laughs> OK, well, this week she's certainly the killer queen of feedback because Deanna from Alberta, Canada has emailed in after episode 7 aired with her thoughts on Nebraska. And she writes, Bless you, I hope your cold is better. My heart goes out to you sitting in a cold car recording your podcast. Your devotion to your listen listeners is admirable. <laughs> Thanks, Deanna. Yes, indeed, I'm all better now. She goes on to say, I really enjoyed the Brian Dexter road trip this week. Back to Dexter in his old form. I wonder, though, have the writers dumbed down the writing a bit to build its appeal to a wider audience? I'm thinking of the kill me scene between Jonah and Dexter after Jonah blurts, I'm my father's son. Dexter's reaction was great. Right away I could tell he was thinking of Harrison and going through his own turmoil, all of which he was able to convey without a single word. And then the writers treat us like a bunch of dummies and force Michael C. Hall to utter, what if this were my son? Why couldn't they trust to Hall's superlative acting skills to convey this message without the use of a sledgehammer? The writing has felt a little heavy-handed throughout the season. They've missed many chances for subtlety. Brother Sam's death, for instance. We should all get the light versus dark imagery by now. It has been two seasons, after all. Yet that's what we got on the deathbed. Just poor dialogue, not bad acting. Earlier seasons often had longer durations without dialogue that made the viewer think through what was going on. Like those aha moments where I have time to make my own connections without necessarily being spoon-fed. Maybe in that way the show is somewhat a victim of its success. HBO series seem to end sooner rather than later, leaving us wanting more rather than reminiscing about the good old days. The writers have literally brought us the good old days with Brian and Trinity this episode. As much as I would miss Dexter, I believe it has reached the time for its conclusion. I just want to see what happens when Deborah discovers Dexter's secret life. A lot of your listeners are complaining that the DDK murder storyline is losing their interest. Myself, I'm eagerly anticipating what's going to happen. I'm really hoping that the writers are carefully pacing the story. While I wasn't as critical of season 5 in the way many others seem to be, it really felt because of the pacing they just ran out of time to do the Jordan Chase storyline justice. The ending of that storyline felt like a wham-bam thank you ma'am, based on the fact that Miami Metro now has a narrowed down list of suspects this episode, I have my fingers crossed that Dexter will be racing Deborah to find the Doomsday Killers. On a side note, why do the writers keep on insisting on using the stereotype geek that can hack anything? It seems a lazy bit of writing to send in the computer geek to fix problems. Think of all the movies and shows where, with a rapid tappity-tap on the keyboard, the hacker can access everything from streetlights to FBI databases. I had a bit of eye-rolling when Lewis declared that he had managed to erase all trace of the mannequin hand cell from the internet. Really? I suppose that was to set Lewis up as the hero that narrows, narrows down the suspect list this episode. I hope they aren't just planning to have him around to magically solve problems for Miami Metro as a time-saving plot device. Hey, I just had a thought. Do you think that the whole Ryan Masuka storyline was simply to set up the reappearance of Brian Moser? 
The writer's not trusting we might actually remember who Brian was. Thanks, Deanna. Another great email. You make an excellent point about the Jonah scene. We didn't need Dexter's voiceover to tell us what he was thinking. They've been doing this much more this season, it feels, and it's been a bit annoying to me. So many internal comments from Dexter, spoon-feeding us points that only the dumbest of viewers wouldn't work out for themselves. The show is totally serialised. I don't think anyone watching just tunes in for the odd episode here or there. I think 99.9% .9 you're either watching it all or not watching at all. They don't need to spell out every little thing. Come on guys, give us some credit for having a bit of intelligence. And yet the end of season 5 did feel a bit rushed and I felt we had a lot more to learn about Jordan Chase and why he was like he was and how these friends of his were so easily manipulated into doing such heinous things. I do agree about Lewis. I rolled my eyes when he said he'd erased traces of the online auction. Imagine that was eBay. Do you think the average computer geek is going to be able to hack into eBay servers and erase all traces of a particular auction and all related transactions or communications? It seemed very convenient. I guess it just served the plot. We won't get hung up on it though, let's not. <laughs> it's not such a big deal in the scheme of things. Interesting point you raise about Ryan Chambers. Without questioning the spoon feeding that's been going on, I wouldn't be surprised if her plot was just to be a reminder of the ice truck killer. They made a point of showing his face on that ID card if you remember. Maybe they felt we wouldn't recognise him when he showed up on the beach. Again, treating us viewers like we'd have forgotten about that incredible first season. I sent a message to Bria Grant on Twitter, uh, Bria Grant having played Ryan Chambers. I asked whether she thinks her arc was serving as a reminder to viewers who the ice truck killer was. She hasn't replied, <laughs> but maybe she can't or doesn't want to in case it causes any problems by, I don't know, sounding like she's criticising the show that recently gave us some work. Hey Gareth. Really wanted to throw my two cents into this episode. It's uh, Matt from London, by the way. I hated it. Seriously, the whole episode before made it feel as though Dexter was going to fall right over the edge and into total darkness. I said it was, you know, dark precipice and everything. Wrong. Instead, he spends most of the road trip going, no, I should obey the code, which is pointless. The whole having sex with a girl in the gas station, I could have passed over that and accepted it. It was all right. If it weren't for two things, Dexter blurting out everything about his mother. I wouldn't sleep with somebody who just told me that. And Brian's declaration. Wouldn't it have been more fun to kill her than fuck her? What the hell? This is supposed to be a part of Dexter's psyche. If that's the kind of stuff Dexter really thinks about, then I really, really don't like him. The Jonah thing just about works. Only just. They went to great lengths to make him look evil and creepy. The weed claw thing and the, Hello, Dexter Morgan only to turn around and make him the same wimp he always was. It would have been much darker and stronger to go the other way. You know, it would have opened up some more scope for Harrison. I was also severely pissed off with the way Harry just puffs and it's gone. I read that Harry was going to come back in a really big way. Please. He was just stood by the side of the road with a friggin' sandwich. The only redeeming factor the episode has, and this stretches the term, is that they didn't do the whole, my dad didn't kill Rita. I did shock moment. I was worried they'd cock up their own continuity. Nice to see they didn't. There was so much possibility from an episode like this. It could have been pushed much, much further. There was more they could do. 
you know, and they can only really effectively bring Brian, Brian back once and get away with it. And quite frankly, they blew it. Thanks, Matt. You got in just under the wire. I was just about to record the feedback section when I got your tweet on Twitter to say that you'd left me a message. So um, I appreciate that. But bloody hell, <laughs> strong words. <laughs> but I am very grateful for your comments. I really was hoping to get something like this and you definitely came through. You hated this episode. Yeah, you did last week suggest that Dexter was on the edge of the abyss. And he was pretty much. He did some things against the code, but it was the reminder of it was the reminder of Harrison that pulled him back. Remember Harry's words though, the children are your salvation. You make a good point about the girl in the gas station. I did say that I was shocked he did it. It was well out of character. But you're right about Brian's comment suggesting murder followed by necrophilia. The comment amused me at the time, but you're right. And it was remiss of me to briefly forget, because it was a point I hammered home throughout, Brian representing the dark passenger, a part of Dexter's psyche. And I did perhaps <laughs> treat his comment in my review section a little bit flippantly. But I, I'm inclined to agree with you. If something deep inside Dexter is fantasising about screwing corpses, I don't like it either. But I think I can rationalise it by reminding myself that this is the Dark Passenger talking here. The corrupt, evil part of Dexter's disturbed inner psyche. That the code serves to focus and release in a controlled, channeled way. In this unchanneled form, the passenger manifests as this murderous, uncaring, callous, wicked corrupt thing that Brian personified this week. I guess it manifested as Brian because he was the person in Dexter's life that the passenger most closely resembles. Mind you, that said, I suppose they could have brought back Trinity. <laughs> Maybe John Lithgow himself, but no, there wouldn't have been that same personal connection. So I think Brian probably fitted the bill best of all. So while, yes, these words were spoken by part of Dexter's psyche, it is the part of his psyche that's always been there since that terrible thing he witnessed as a small boy. And if left unchecked, he may well have turned out like Brian. Instead, because of the nurture and love of a family, Harry in particular, that black part of himself has been channelled and not allowed to take over. I quite like the reminder that Dexter still has the potential to be... An unflinching, cold-blooded, monstrous, psychopathic killer. The arc of the show has been his quest to ultimately suppress it and achieve some kind of normality. To become human, as he previously described it. You know what this reminds me of? The final season of Lost, when they did the Jacob backstory episode Across the Sea. It was the flashback fans had been chomping at the bit for. It was just immense in its importance to the broad scope of the show. And then at the end of that one hour of television, the fan base was divided. Many up in arms, calling the show a failure, jumping the shark, what a letdown, the episode failing to deliver on every level, while others were applauding, having enjoyed it. It's a similar thing now. To say they blew it, might be going a little far, certainly in my opinion, but it does serve to express the level of disappointment that you feel. 
And honestly, Matt, no one can argue with your natural personal reaction to something. Your own opinion cannot be wrong. I guess it comes back again to our individual level of expectation and potential acceptance that this is the episode the creative team put together for us. Some of this team have been with the show since season one. They know the importance of Brian very well and what he means to the fans and what he means to Dexter. This was their creative choice. Although that said, who knows, maybe Christian Camargo could only commit to the one episode. It may have been that that forced their hand to limiting Brian just to this. I don't know. I don't want to be a Dexter apologist, but I do believe that creative care about the show. Perhaps Brian will reappear, but perhaps not. But we need to accept that this was the story they wanted to tell this season. I don't know anything about Harry being reported to have returned in a big way, but as you know, I try to avoid any spoilers. They can really spoil your enjoyment and maybe set false expectations. They're called spoilers for a reason. But, you know, it's everyone's choice whether to look at them or not. Maybe next week things will be put into perspective. But Matt, I'm not down on you, mate. Your opinion is your opinion and uh, you're entitled to it. And I'm very genuinely, genuinely grateful for you um, taking the time to phone in with those thoughts. It's I'm glad to be able to fully address that side of opinion really about the episode to thanks again and indeed thanks to everyone who has emailed or phoned in this week uh, a great bunch of thoughts once again you guys really do come through for me with the feedback you provide and um, really enhance the show i mean if it was just my review the podcast would only be half an hour long and probably a bit dull and a bit one-dimensional now if anyone else wants to phone or uh, email in the listener lines in the US, it is 646-222-6122. And in the UK, 0844-579-6949. And you enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. That's only on the UK line. If you want to email me, it's dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Or there's Twitter at dissectdexter. And also my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. There's also the podcast Facebook page. Jump onto Facebook and search for Dissecting Dexter. And I post updates, comments uh, about the podcast and about the show on there. And as I said before, you guys are welcome to post anything you like on there too. Any comments or questions you might have. Next time. Dissecting Dexter. Okay, as always, and I, I always feel like I'm repeating myself, and I am, but obviously you guys, or some of you guys, do like to avoid any spoilers, and, you know, there may be some new listeners for whom this is their first Dissecting Dexter, so I'll just let you know, this coming soon segment is completely spoiler-free, or spoiler-free as far as I give away the episode title, which isn't really a big deal, I don't think. So, this is purely my own speculation about what I feel is coming up in the next episode. I've not seen the previews, so this is only purely based on what we've seen already and what I think might happen next. The next episode is called Sins of Omission. Now, Dexter seems to have accepted that there is light within him. He showed mercy to Jonah, didn't he? 
Although <laughs> having someone running around out there who has something on him and that's someone being a bit disturbed and definitely unpredictable, it's quite a risk. What Dexter does next, I'm not sure. He's not got Brother Sam to involve himself with, so maybe he goes back to focusing on the DDK thing. Maybe we'll finally make some headway with the is he, isn't he debate. I'm not saying his bloody name again, you know who I mean. <laughs> Elsewhere, I suspect it'll be Lisa Marshall's last episode. I don't foresee Travis being shown to have an active role with the tableau, but I can well imagine his horror at seeing his sister like that. He seems to genuinely care about her. They, yeah, they maybe have a good relationship there. <laughs> but you can predict Geller's response to him. This is God's punishment for doubting him. Will it frighten Travis into towing the line again? Although, with Lisa gone, it might leave him in a position where he's got nothing left to lose. So, you know, bugger it. Maybe he'll stick two fingers up at Geller. It might push him further away from God. Maybe lead him to betraying Professor G to Geller to uh, Dexter. He knows Dexter's dangerous and he might decide to try and lead Dexter to Geller in the hope he kills him. That's of course on the basis that Geller's real. Damn, I said his name didn't I? <laughs> and I don't think it's much of a stretch to predict tension between Deb and Dexter. We saw she was pissed off that he'd buggered off for a few days when she'd only suggested he take a day off. She is his boss isn't she? He's lied about where he was, and if that pen turns up, she may do some checking. Find the motel in Nebraska and put that together with the Trinity thing. She's bound to then have some questions about why Dexter went up there and why he lied about it. And what if they then discover Norm's body? She won't necessarily suspect Dexter of being a murderer, but it could just throw something else into the old melting pot. That could help things add up for her eventually. But it won't help Deb personally, that's for sure. She already feels a bit alienated from her colleagues in a new role, doesn't she? She's lost her boyfriend, and with her relationship with Dexter under threat, she could be in quite a rough place. I wonder if that psychologist will come back. I think there are some rocky times ahead, and I'm looking forward to Dexter's conversations with Harry next week. That'll be fascinating. Want to end up on my table? Email dissectingdexter at gmail.com So as we come to the end of another Dissecting Dexter, I'd just like to mention a, a brief interaction I had with the director of this latest episode, Romeo Taroni, who uh, I talked a little bit about earlier. He's long, he's long been the cinematographer of Dexter since season one. He's more recently got involved with True Blood as director and cinematographer. And I tweeted him after this latest episode just to congratulate him and um, just say I thought it was a great episode, best of the season. And I mentioned it must have been great to work with Christian Camargo again. I didn't really expect a reply, but he did. He replied back fairly quickly and said it was fantastic to have Christian back. And I quote, Michael C. Hall and I felt like we were let loose with an old friend without adult supervision, <laughs> which I thought was a really good reply. And I can empathise, I can, you know, Romeo's been involved with the show since the start and, you know, those halcyon days with um, the ice truck killer. It must have been great to all be together again. And who knows if Michael C. Hall's become a bit jaded with the show, he's got itchy feet wanting to go on to other projects. It must have been nice for him to uh, work with Christian again and, you know, maybe reminisce about the good old days. 
I have messaged Romeo back about some of the horror references that were in this latest episode, but um, uh, that was overnight and I've, I've not heard anything back as I record this today. But, you know, maybe I'll have had another response by the time I speak to you next. Okay, so we come to the end of another podcast. I'll keep this brief because this podcast, I think, has become the longest ever solo podcast by me. Um, (laughs) So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's for you guys to decide. (laughs) But we did get a lot of great feedback this week and, you know, it's important to do it justice, I think. So we have five episodes left of the season. I'm looking forward to seeing where things go from here. We had the potential for some prolonged dark times and on the face of it, it seems that those dark times were maybe just one episode long, but time will tell. The next episode will tell. So we'll look forward to talking about it next week. So join me again next week and we'll dissect some more Dexter together. Until then, guys, thanks as always for your support. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers for now. (laughs) 